title of this sermon is Water from the Rock. We're going to read verse 37 to uh, verse 52. Listen now to God's word. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone before him, had gone to him before, and he was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Father, as we just sang, oh, we need your Holy Spirit. Lord, teach us to drink from the rock, Jesus Christ. We thank you for giving us faith in Jesus, for those of us who are trusting in Jesus. We thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit, that well of living water, that fountain, that spring that, that dwells within us because he dwells in us. Um, Father, we pray that if anyone does not yet trust in Jesus, that you would give them this water, Lord, this water this morning by lifting up Jesus and his sacrificial love for us. Would you give life, would you give thirst quenching by your Holy Spirit this morning? Father, I pray that you would work through me to preach your love. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would give power to your word to, to fill us with that love and make us more like Jesus through it. For your glory, Father, and our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been, uh, Pastor Joel primarily has been preaching through the Gospel of John. Uh, Sean preached for us last week. I get to preach this week. Uh, for those of you who are new, my name is David Balzer. I'm our pastor of Outreach and Connection. So my job is people, the Word of God, prayer, and people. So it's pretty fun. Um, I think God kind of designed me for that. So if you get to know me, you'll, you'll realize what that is. Um, so one of the things that we see throughout the Gospel of John are these repeated phrases. One is the sign. The signs, the signs, the signs. Jesus did this sign. This is the first sign that Jesus did. This is the second sign that Jesus did. If you search on sign, you'll see it in the gospel, you know, throughout. Another thing that we see repeated in the gospel is the hour. The hour. People tried to arrest him, 
but his hour had not yet come. You know, why are you bothering me with this? My hour has not yet come. They, you know, they tried to kill him, but his hour had not yet come. You can look it up, and it's repeated throughout the Gospel. Why is that? Well, I believe that, that John wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to show us over and over through all the stories in this Gospel that, that Jesus is this. He's the divine Son of God. That's what the signs point to. Only only God could do these things, turning water into wine and things like that, and raise Lazarus from the dead. He's the divine Son of God, sent to be the Lamb of God. That's what the hour is pointing to, because he had to be crucified at Passover, when the Passover lambs were sacrificed. People tried to wait until after Passover to arrest him and kill him, but God in his providence would not allow that to happen. Jesus had to be crucified when the lambs were, were, were slain at Passover to show us the forgiveness of sins and to accomplish the forgiveness of sins. So he's the divine son of God sent to be the lamb of God to give the life of God to all who trust in him. Through faith alone, you can have the life of God Meaning, God makes you born again by the Holy Spirit. But we're going to see from this story is that before Jesus came and obeyed in our place and suffered in our place at the cross and died and rose again and then was glorified, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God and poured out the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the Spirit of God was with the people of God. And he had, they needed Him to make them born again. They needed Him to resurrect them into new life, having faith in Jesus but he did not yet dwell in him. There's other parts that talk about that. He, he's with you, but he will be in you. And so we get, it's even better this side of the cross in Pentecost, and that's, that's what we're going to look at here. That's the, the life of God Jesus defines as this in his prayer in John 17. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only living God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Because he's also God, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, this particular story about the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths is just one more place that has all those things in it. He's the divine Son of God, sent to be the Lamb of God, to give us the life of God through faith in Him. So let's, let's think about that a minute. Uh, as you've heard in other sermons recently, this feast, uh, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, is basically the Feast of Tents. See, my throat's already, my mouth's already getting dry. Again, sermon illustration. Uh, it's the Feast of Tents. Why is that? Because God provided for his people in a wilderness with no Walmarts, you know, no indoor plumbing, nothing. He provided for his people for 40 years in the wilderness. And what would they live in? Tents. They were living in tents. And this, this celebration, this feast, uh, was a celebration of the goodness of God to grumbling people. Okay, and we'll see that. The goodness of God to grumbling, ungrateful, thirsty people. You know, I know you can't relate to that at all, so, you know, just, just for others' sake, listen to this, you know. Uh, and, and some of the things that would happen in this festival was people would get, they were commanded to keep this feast in the Old Testament, and they would get, like, big leafy branches, palm branches, other tree branches, and make like a, maybe a lean-to, I'm not sure you scouts, you know, which, how, what you would call it, but they would make a shelter out of these leafy branches, and they would spend the night in those things for seven days, the whole week. It was a camp out. It was a huge, awesome camp out. 
And, you know, there were sobering things throughout the week. These, these sacrifices were offered every day. They had to watch animals be killed because of their sin. So that was a very sobering thing. Very, there's a somber aspect. But there's also this incredible celebration. One of the Jewish writers from a long time ago said, basically like, if you ain't seen this party, you ain't seen a party. You know, that's based on paraphrasing. It's like, like, this is the biggest party that you could possibly imagine. Feasting, eating and drinking in moderation, but to the glory of God. Celebrating. It's in the Bible. You can read it. It was, you know, people think that Christians are boring. Please don't add to that fire, okay? Right? <laughs> that we, like, we should be the best partiers because we have the Holy Spirit who gives joy and peace and patience and kindness for when things don't go well, right? So these people were so excited to celebrate these things. So that's one of the things that they would do. Um, um, and there's another thing that they would do, uh, and that is this water ceremony. And so we're going to talk about that. So if you're taking notes this morning, we're going to look at three things from what would happen at the Feast of Booze that Jesus is at here in this story. Three things about it that point to him as the rock who gives us the living water. Okay? And so we're going to look at, first, the water pouring ceremony. Second, the words of the songs that were sung. And last, the words of the Savior. Okay? The water ceremony, the words of the songs that they sang, and then the words of the Savior all reveal Jesus to be the actual rock that gives the water to those who thirst and come to him by faith. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at. That's where we're headed. So um, the first thing that they would do at this feast uh, is every single day of the week, this week, there would be this ceremony. I want to read to you um, from Ellicott's commentary, the description of what would happen. Okay, Keep this in mind. We're thinking about how does the feast itself point to water from the rock. Okay, It says that it consisted in a solemn procession with music, and headed by a priest, which went on each morning from the temple to the pool of Siloam, uh, where the priest filled a golden vase with water and carried it to the temple amid the joyful cries of the people. Not boring, okay? He then poured it out on the western side of the altar, a burnt offering, while another priest poured a, a drink offering of wine at the same time on the east side of the altar, And the people during this act chanted the words of the Hallel. What's the Hallel, you ask? Here you go. It's Psalms 113 through 118. Tuck that away for a few minutes from now. Okay, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Those are the songs that they sang. So this water ceremony would happen, and they were really excited about it. They would get it from the pool of Siloam, and then they would sing these songs. Okay? But... How, did, how is that water from the rock, you might ask? And that's a really good question. How, they got water, and they did stuff with water, but how is that water coming from a rock? Well, the pool, the pool of Siloam, I've, I've got this uh, from BibleHistory.net. All right? The pool of Siloam was fed by water from an underground spring, which flowed through a tunnel originally constructed by King Hezekiah, who ruled from 716 to 687 B.C., uh, as recorded in 2 Kings 2.20, which says, Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah, all his might, and how he made a pool and a tunnel and brought water into the city 
are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? There's other passages in Scripture that make a big deal. Like, what's your legacy, guys, ladies? What's your legacy? After you're dead and gone, if anyone remembers you, the Lord remembers you, your family, but let's say generations from now, if anyone remembers you, what will they remember you for? Well, one of the things Hezekiah was remembered for was getting the water from the upper pool down into this more accessible place uh, of water. Uh, for the people in Jerusalem. The context of that was the invasion by the Assyrians, and they were being, um, uh, they were surrounded, and so this was a way to get water uh, from outside the city into the city so that people could drink that water supply. So it was kind of a big deal. It wasn't just like, oh, I only have to walk 50 yards instead of 100 yards to get water. It was a huge deal. It's like, this is where the water came from. This is where your life would come from when you're under siege. Okay, so keep that in mind. Well, again, how is this water from the rock? Well, one of the really cool things that happened, uh, as we heard in our Sunday school video this morning down at the education building, archaeology is the Christian's friend because they make these discoveries like, oh yeah, 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 the Bible's true. Okay, so um, so in 1880, they actually discovered uh, a text uh, at the site of this pool of Siloam they discovered this inscription that described how this all happened under Hezekiah's reign. And I want to read it to you, okay? It says, The account of the breakthrough is as follows. While the tunnelers were working with their picks, each toward the other, so they were, they were one people were on one side trying to get the water from where it was to where it's going to go, all right? So there were people digging on each side, heading towards each other. It says, And while there was still five feet of what? Of rock to go through. The rock split to the south and to the north, and the voices of each were heard calling one to another. And at that moment, the laborers broke through, striking pick against pick. That striking, let's, let's tuck that also away for later. Water flowed from the spring to the pool for a distance of 1,900 feet. You can like, how many yards? Okay, you can do that later. All right. And the height of the tunnel above the heads of the laborers was 160 feet. Big tunnel. Okay? What's the point there? That as they went to draw water from the pool of Siloam, they were literally getting water from the rock. That's a big deal. And that was part of the ceremony. And you know what's awesome is uh, during the ceremony, after they were to dip the water from the pool of Siloam, you know what they recited? Isaiah 12, 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And it was known that at Jesus' time, these waters were a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And so that's in the minds of the people. It's not that y'all make me nervous, but my, my mouth really does get dry. Um, okay. So... Can you see how that kind of might point to Jesus being, you know, the rock who gives the water, right? And so, secondly, let's look at the words of the songs. Remember the Hallel I was mentioning, Psalm 113 through 118? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from two of those psalms that they were chanting during the ceremony, okay? The first one talks about water in the wilderness, Psalm 114, verses 7 and 8. It says, Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock 
into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. So, you know, think about what Jesus said, come to me and drink. So as they were celebrating this feast, every day they sang that song about the Lord bringing water from the rock. And I love, I love when the Bible talks about flint, because one, flint looks cool, and you see the, the arrowheads and all that stuff, but flint's a real rocky rock. You know, it's not like a porous sandstone or something. It's just like rock in your face, solid rock, slick, solid rock. And I love how it says, um, the flint into a spring of water. It's not like, yeah, there's all this water, and God just went, ting, 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 and then, you know, it may be, I'm not sure, there could have been underground springs, but it also is very possible that God literally created fresh water coming out of a rock that wasn't anywhere near there before. Um, he raises the dead, so you know he can do that, right? Okay, so that's the first song that they would sing. And so I want to read to you the story in Exodus. It's Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 to 6, about the water coming from the rock. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. So these people were thirsty. Unlike you who are perfectly patient, they were thirsty and they just started grumbling against God. I know you can't relate to that, but um, last night, Laura and I went to play tennis at UWF. And, um, uh, you know, y'all who love pickleball, I may get there, okay? But I think partly because it's such a big thing, I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. Brad and I played one time, and it was cool, and it was fun, but I like tennis, right? And so we went there, and, um, you know, these nice pickleball uh, courts at UWF, they have these amazing lights on that when it gets dark, you can actually see the ball, right? And they, they got all these new lights on the tennis courts, right, which is amazing. They came in, they didn't work at first, and finally they, Brett, uh, my friend Brett and I were playing, and, and they came on one time. I was like, yes, glory. And last night, you know what? The lights did not come on. And so patient me, I'm like, well, just, okay, it's fine. You know? No, I was like, man, come on. The pickleball people have the lights on. Come on, you know. Uh, that's just a small sample of, I don't know if you can relate to that or not, But when we really want something and we can't have it, uh, be it unto thee, O Lord, I trust, you know. No, we're like, oh, come on, you know. Now, if you're physically thirsty, that's about, that's about, oh, I don't know, survival, right? (laughs) So it's not, oh, oh, you poor boy, you couldn't see the tennis ball longer than you want to, you know. But they they were going to die if they didn't have water, right? And so they were... They were taking it out on Moses, and Moses even said to the Lord, these people are almost ready to stone me. Remember how Pastor Sean preached to us about Jesus being the, the, the new Moses or the Moses to whom Moses was pointing? Well, you see in the story about the people grumbling and, and like, I don't know if he's the Christ. You know, no, he's not. He came from Galilee. Like all this stumbling at him and grumbling. Like this, this story, you can lay on top of 
the ceremony and actually what's happening in the story that we're reading in the gospel. Okay, And so what did the Lord do? It says, The Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Isn't that amazing? I'd forgotten the Lord part of this, okay? So when I was working on this sermon, I read this again. It's just amazing. I totally forgot that it wasn't just, there's this rock, and God said, go strike this rock. What what does it say? He says, um, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock. The Lord, and I believe this is the pre-incarnate Son of God, you know, Jesus, before he became Jesus, standing on the rock. And then he says, hit the rock with that staff with which you judged, with which I judged Egypt. When, he, when Moses struck the Nile with that staff, it was a judgment on the people of Egypt. And God is saying, I'm going to stand on this thing and I want you to judge it with your staff. Isn't that amazing? In 1 Corinthians 10.4, the Apostle Paul summarized these events and said that rock was Christ. He said that the rock that followed them through the wilderness, that rock was Christ. Isn't that amazing? That Christ, before he became flesh, stood on the rock and was so identified with the rock that when that staff of judgment hit the rock, it was as if it was hitting Christ. Right? So, Man, I think this is a record. I'm not kidding. <laughs> See, I mean, God's sovereign. I don't normally get this thirsty. I'm pr- I promise you. I've never brought water up here in my life, but God's doing it, all right? All right. So the second song that they would sing is Psalm 118, verses 21 to 23. And here we, we think about the striking of the rock and how the, str- the striking of the rock, Jesus was about to happen in Jesus' life. And we see that in this feast and what was happening at it. But this is one of the other songs that they sang every day for a week, okay? And think about what you heard was happening in this story uh, with Jesus and the people grumbling and trying to arrest him so they can kill him. This is one of the songs that they sang. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected (laughs) has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So those guys, they were trying to get the the soldiers to arrest Jesus so they could kill him, and were really mad when they hadn't arrested Jesus at the end of the story that we read. Those guys were singing this song. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and it is marvelous. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Do you see how blind they were? How blind they were. But, but, so, but why did this have to happen? Because if the rock, Jesus Christ, was not struck with, with, at the cross, we couldn't get the water. The water would not come to us. Life would not come to us. The rock had to be struck. And so in order to be struck, he had to become a stumbling stone. That's another thing prophesied about Jesus. I will, he, I will, 
I will, he will be a stumbling stone and a rock of offense uh, to, to both houses of Israel and will be a stumbling stone to many. Is this the Christ? Yeah, I think he's the Christ. No, he's not the Christ. One of the people uh, in the story, uh, in part of the story with Jesus interacting with people was like, you have a demon. They actually said that to him. You have a demon calling the divine son of God possessed by evil. Uh, I would say they are stumbling at the stumbling stone, right? Uh, and so I want to read to you from Isaiah 8, 13 to 15. It says, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary. He, the Lord of hosts, right? He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Um, in Isaiah 28, 16, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. In the New Testament, translating the Septuagint, it's uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it was, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Paul quotes that in the New Testament about Christ and our salvation. So you see, uh, first, from the water-pouring ceremony, and second, from the words of the songs, that, um, that, uh, that this all points to Jesus as the rock from whom we get the water. Um, just another thing about the stumbling stone here. Look at, back at our passage in John 7. There's all this arguing, right? And uh, I'll just put it at verse 52. They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. As Pastor Joel and Pastor Sean have, have, were preaching in their most recent sermons, there, there is this stumbling block. They, they thought they had the right information, but they were missing part of the information. And the great irony is that these builders who are blind, these builders who are blind were saying, these crowds are accursed because they don't know the scriptures. And in great irony, what are they displaying? Their ignorance about the scriptures. Yes, Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem, as was prophesied in Micah a long time before Christ came. Um, but he also was going to be from Galilee. How do we know that? I'm going to read. I know I'm reading a lot of scripture to you, but it's God's word. So, uh, but there is Isaiah nine one and two. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And a few verses down is where we get that Christmas passage, right? For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So at this feast, and as, as these people are arguing about who Jesus is, and people are trying to kill him, and people are like, no, he's the Christ. This whole tumult at the feast, we see that Jesus is the rock who gives the water, but he, but he has to be struck for us to get that water. That's what we see in those words of the songs. And then lastly, 
the words of the Savior. The words of the Savior. Look back at John 7, 37 and 38. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Now pause. Think of all that you just heard. Think of everything you just heard. This is what Jesus cries out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Isn't that amazing? He's saying, I'm what you are celebrating today. I am the Lord who provided for you in the wilderness. I am the Lord who stood on that rock while Moses judged me so that water would come out. It's incredible. It's amazing. So first, let's, let's break this down. If anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, what does that tell us? Why is that good news? It's not just for religious people. It's not, you know, the Jewish people thought that they couldn't find Jesus because they thought he was going away to the, to the Gentiles. You know, there were, there were insiders and there were outsiders. And the good news is that this is for outsiders too. If you feel like you're an outsider, didn't grow up in church, you're like, I don't know what Christianity is all about, but I'm here because someone invited me or whatever. Or even if you grew up in church, you're like, I don't know. This is for you. Like, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I th- am thinking right now. You don't know what I, what I did recently, not just in my pre-Christian days. You don't know what I, if anyone thirsts. Anyone. So this is, yes, for conversion. When he says, come to me and drink, that equals believes in me. Those are parallel passages. Let him come to me and drink, and then whoever believes in me will have this. Those are parallel things. They mean the same thing. To come to Jesus is to believe in him and to come to him by faith, right? This is for conversion as a one-time event for salvation, but I also believe that it's an ongoing process of relationship. Because as, uh, as one of my favorite bands, U2, saying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. If you ever listen to that song, it sounds like they're blaspheming God, like, oh, you're not enough, God. Like, I, basically, I knew Jesus carried the cross and all my shame, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That's not denying the reality that compared to before I knew Christ, I have this well of living water in me. I have the Holy Spirit who gives me joy, who does assure me of my salvation, and it's great. I have joy. I would, I would joy arm wrestle people. You know, I, I have joy, but, but I also yell at my kids in the car and all that other stuff too, right? Like, we still get thirsty. Speaking of which, like I can hardly speak. And I, I promise you this has never happened before. I love the Lord. I love how creative he is with his providence. Uh, It's amazing. Anyway, um, it's amazing. Do you know how you still thirst sometimes? You know how that I still haven't found what I'm looking for thing? Because look at your sin. You know, we are all satisfied on the one hand, the already, but we're also thirsty, the not yet. Um, Jesus has not yet come back and made all things new. Jesus has not come back and perfected you yet. And as Pastor Joel said, these stupid fire ant mounds keep popping up all the time, right? We are still thirsty. In Jeremiah, it says, you've forsaken the fountain of living waters and gone to broken cisterns which can can hold no water. And um, 
I think you can relate to that, and so can I, right? And the good news is that Jesus tells you, come to me and drink. As we read this morning, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God is calling you Christian to come to him and believe in him. The Bible commands us, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Well, how am I supposed to do that? Press a button? Use the means that God has given us to stir up the Spirit. Be in His Word. Be in prayer. Be with other Christians. Pray with other Christians, as Judy was saying. That's one of the ways that we get refilled with the Holy Spirit. And you see that in the Bible. And then he says, come to me and drink. And then um, the living water, the water of the Spirit. But let's look at, at chapter, I mean, at verse 39. So now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Again, before the cross and Pentecost, after the cross and Pentecost. You, that, that's why Jesus said, it's better for y'all that I go away and the Holy Spirit comes to you. We're like, no, I'd kind of rather hang out with Jesus. You know, like if I had the choice, that's because I don't know what Jesus knows. Because you, as a Christian right now, have it better than any Old Testament believer. They looked to the same Christ in faith, looking ahead, and they were saved, just like you. We're all saved together. We're all part of the same family in Christ. But you have this great privilege of not just being someone where the Holy Spirit comes to you from outside and is poured on you, like David when he was anointed, the Spirit's rushing on David from that day forward. Because of what Jesus did, because the true rock was struck in your place, God has made you a fountain of the Holy Spirit. God has made you a fountain of living waters. He has made you a temple and part of His new temple who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And how can that possibly be real? How can, that, how can the Holy Spirit dwell in a sinner? How is that possible? It's because Jesus cried out what? It is finished. Amen? Please pray with me. Father, you are so good to us. You are so merciful. We are so weak and grumbly. <laughs> and we pray, God, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. Help us to ask for your Spirit. Lord, help us to stir up the Holy Spirit through your Word and your people. Oh, God, we need you. And we pray that you would get great glory in what you do in our hearts this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.